Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. Thank you, Jacob. Awesome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. How are you? Good. You can. You guys can repeat. You guys, shake it off. You know, shake it off. Come on. We got this. Um, well, it is my privilege this morning to be speaking. I, I felt like I wanted to kind of take the baton from Aaron from last week. Wasn't that an awesome word that he gave all about? Yes, you can give a hand for him, <laughs> for the Lord. But all about returning to Eden and returning to the place of intimacy with God, free from shame, and back to the place of just oneness, communion with the Lord. And, uh, and so today the title of my message is, um, shame off of you, shame off of you. So raise your hand here in this room. If any of you have ever done anything sinful or bad that has caused shame. Okay. I feel like everybody, yeah, look around. All right. We're in, we're in good company. Now turn to your neighbor and tell them what it is. I'm just joking. That would be traumatic. Please don't do that. Find someone safe like Bruce and Shay, um, (laughs) and all of our amazing team to, uh, to share that with, but I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Um, but if you're new here or maybe you don't know, uh, much about me, I am an extremely, uh, driven person. I, I love to be busy, which is not always a good thing, but I love to just really be the best person and best version that God has created me to be. And so I am often juggling a lot of hats, whether that's, you know, pastoring here at the church. I have four amazing uh, children and all of their things that they're doing. And then, um, you know, things in business that I'm doing, whatever it is, I feel in the most pure form of who I am. I come alive when I'm living out the calling that God has given me and fulfilling that wholeheartedly. But I'm also sinful and I also can live in a place that is not so great within that where I can often be fueled um, by a sort of deep-rooted insecurity that I have to do more, I have to fix everything, I have to be in control, and this can often come with soul-crushing shame. You guys ready for some vulnerability today? And there are those of us in this room who can relate to that. And it may not be the same type of personality, it may not be the same type of struggle, but there are times when each and every one of us walks through the walks through insecurity, walks through shame. But I want to let you know today that there is hope and we're hearing a message of hope today in the house of the Lord that Jesus Christ has come to take away all of our shame and all of our sin. And my prayer today is that each and every one of us this morning would encounter his grace and his freedom that can only be found in him. Amen. Hallelujah. So shame is the thing that wants you to hide from what you've done or what someone else has done to you. Aaron, last week, we we dove through Genesis 2 and the story of Adam and Eve and how they first encountered um, the snake in the garden and were tempted to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Eve did. She ate that fruit, and then she offered it to Adam, who then ate the fruit. And sin... Yes, I said the word sin entered the world. It's often not politically correct anymore to talk about sin, but sin is very real, everybody. And sin entered the world 
And as a result, shame came in. And there's a small verse at the end of Genesis 2, uh, 2 verse 25, where it says, it says here, they were naked and yet they knew no shame. The defining part and moment of the garden Yes, it was beautiful. Yes, there was probably rivers and trees and it looked like an oasis and there's animals and it's incredible. But the most defining thing about the garden is that they were able to be 100% fully who God created them to be in his image, naked, and yet they knew no shame. There was no shame in the garden. And one moment they know no, they know no shame and the next, They're hiding their bodies, trying to cover themselves up. And Aaron was talking about how they fashion clothes for themselves and these fig leaves, probably very uncomfortable leaves, fashioned for themselves to hide the very essence of who they were, the image of God in a place of shame. They had an identity crisis of who they were because it wasn't just that they did something bad, it was now that they were bad. And so, what are guilt and shame? They're two different things. Guilt is the position of being accountable for our sin or our shortcomings. In a framework of justice, you have to take responsibility and accountability for the choices that you've made and for falling short of the standards of God. Have you guys all watched Judge Judy? Or maybe Law and Order? Or maybe you're a lawyer and you're in this room. We all kind of know what happens in a court, right? They, you know, the jury goes away and they come back and they're like, the verdict is in. The court holds you, <laughs> whatever, I don't know the phrase. <laughs> um, they, they read out the accounts of what the person has done and then they said, the court finds you guilty. And then the gavel comes down, bam, and that's it. And you're sentenced to whatever your punishment is. And so guilt is I did something wrong and I feel guilty for what I did. It's action based. Okay. And then shame on the other hand is the, it's the process of being defined by our sin and our shortcomings. So it's saying, yes, legally I am guilty, but now I'm taking my sin and my shortcoming and I'm changing that into my identity of what I am and who I am. And so now it's not just I did something wrong, therefore I'm bad. It's now I am inherently bad. Do you see the difference? Guilt is your action, is the consequence of your action. Shame is now internalizing that guilt and saying, this is now who I am. Brené Brown, Dr. Brené Brown, I would say is an expert on this topic of shame. And she has this quote that we're going to put up on the screen. It says, Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Each and every one of us in this room walks through shame at different times in our life. Whether it's been shame from a financial decision that we've made that has led us into debt or financial failure... Maybe it's uh, your sexual past or things that you are even dealing with now in the present. Maybe it's an addiction that you've struggled with or battled with. Or maybe it's just 
the thoughts that you feel about yourself, the thoughts of self-doubt, inadequacy, leading to anxiety and depression. Shame is not a stranger to any of us in this room, I'm sure. And when we live in this shame and we take shame on as our identity, we start to live out of shame-based thinking. And there's three things that I've written down as I was preparing this of different ways that we live in shame-based thinking. Number one, we are vulnerable to perfectionism. Raise your hand if you're a perfectionist or recovering perfectionist. Okay. We want to cover our shame with a perfect performance, right? Because it's really difficult to admit any sort of failure. And so we strive to appear to have it together. We strive to appear like we have not failed or convince ourselves that we have not failed. Number two, we are critical of ourselves, which drives us to become critical of others. Shamed people shame others. And oftentimes we are critical about the things that other people are walking through, the very same things that we ourselves are going through. Number three, we use self-defeating thoughts to shield ourselves from disappointment. This looks like they're only going to reject me, so it's not even worth my time to enter into relationship, to risk the relationship. We try to sabotage the very thing that God wants to bless us with. You know, maybe you were even watching this video announcement about connect groups, and you're like, I really want to do that, but... Last time I did that and I opened up to someone about something I was going through and I let people into my life and I shared something and then I felt shame about it and then they gossiped about it, whatever it is, and we internalize the shame, we reject others and we sabotage the things that God wants to bless us with. See, my story, I remember few moments in my life where shame entered in to my life. I grew up in an amazing family with amazing parents, but they, the biggest part of my story and the pain that I felt as a child was that they traveled often, and so that meant that my sisters and I were often um, left at home with babysitters, nannies, whatever um, it was. And so I, in my sort of personality of perfectionism and high achieving and being very driven, wanted to, as a little girl, not knowing how to translate that, wanted to try and fix my sort of situation, control it. It felt out of control. And there was often a lot of shame that I felt for missing my parents because, you know, they would come home from trips and they would talk about the amazing testimonies of what God was doing around the world and the healings that happened and that they saw and the salvations. And you as a little girl don't want to cry out and be like, please don't go away again. I miss you, but I'm feeling really ashamed that I feel this way because I should be, you know, cheering you on. And so the shame entered my life in that way. And so I would try to comfort myself in different ways. And I remember being like 11 years old. I have this distinct memory of going, I came home from school. My parents were still at work. You know, when you would pick up the phone and call them, hey, I made it off the bus. And I remember going to my freezer and opening a tub of ice cream and sitting and eating like half the tub and then trying to like smooth it over to make it look like no one had eaten anything. <laughs> 
But this seeded a, a thing in my heart of like, of just trying to deal with the pain that I was going through. And then that led to my own shame around food and eating, which eventually led to an eating disorder years later in my life. And I would turn, I would miss my parent, my dad, and I missed that male figure in my life. And so I would turn to boys to fulfill that need. And I would mess around with boys and I would feel dirty and gross. And then I would show up and I would be, you know, leading a prayer thing at my school, whatever it was. And then I would go and I would hang out with my Christian friends, but then I would go with my non-Christian friends and go and get drunk. And I was living this like life full of shame, trying to deal with the pain that was in my heart that I was feeling. And I was, the shame that I felt was I'm ugly and I'm impure and I'm, I'm not enough. I can't fix my life. I can't control my life. But I want you guys to know that I'm not ashamed of my past. And you should not be ashamed of your past either. That Jesus and his blood has covered my shame. And I'm not ashamed anymore. But I still have to battle with shame-based thinking and shame-based identity. And it doesn't look to turning to, you know, other men. <laughs> Thank the Lord. Um, or, you know, different things. But it looks like for me now... Like, I, I have my husband and my best friend, Aaron, of over nine years, coming up on 10. And <laughs> we booked our trip for next May to uh, Italy and Greece without the kids to celebrate. Um, and so we're very excited about that. But then I've got, I have my four children and I have all of their activities. And then I'm leading this church and there's a lot of, there's a lot of you in this room and there's multiple services and I, I can often feel like I can't be there for everyone. I can't fix everyone's problem. And just to be real and vulnerable, sometimes again, it triggers in me that shame of I'm not enough and I can't fix everything. <laughs> and in the, in my childhood, the way I would try in my impurest ways to try and fix the shame that I was feeling is I would try to get the best grades and be the best student. And then once I did that, I was like, I have to then be the, you know, captain of my swim team, captain of my swim team. Okay. I got to make States. All right. I make States. Okay. That's not good enough. I got to go to junior nationals. Okay. Do that. And then got to get into the best university that in my opinion, go Tar Heels. So I go to UNC and then I get there and I realize that everyone was freaking valedictorian and I'm not the best anymore. And so it reinforces again, this shame and this pain where I'm trying to justify my value and cover the shame and shame-based thinking. But the reality is, is that I can't be there for everyone. And I am not enough. Actually, I'm not enough. But Jesus Christ in me is more than enough, right? He's more than enough. And I want to tell you about a people called the Israelites who were slaves for 430 years and generation after generation was born into slavery. Can you imagine you're, you're in the middle of that 430 years and everybody that you can think of that you've known alive was a slave in your family. And everybody that comes after you that you're alive to see is still a slave. And the identity of you're a slave is just driven over and over into these people that all you are is a brick maker and a brick layer and you're worthless and you're nothing. 
And then God sends an amazing man, Moses, to come and deliver his people out of Egypt. And God delivers them. And even though the Egypt, or sorry, even though the Israelites were no longer slaves outwardly, they were still slaves inwardly. They couldn't get Egypt out of them. And there are some of you in this room who for 30 years, you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've been living your life for him, but you are still a slave to the shame that you feel. And though outwardly, you know you are free, inwardly, you're still dealing with that pain and that shame that comes from the guilt of our sin. The only way to heal the shame is to take the focus off of me and put the focus on him. Take the focus off of who I'm not and put the focus on who he is and what he's done. Turn with me to Hebrews 12, verse 2. I've read this verse many times, but as I was preparing this message this week and thinking about shame, these three words jumped out of me. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. He hated, he despised, he scorned the shame that robs people from the intimacy with God and the joy that is found in him. From the beginning of time, God has scorned and despised and hated shame. He hated the shame that Adam and Eve felt in the garden that they had to hide their nakedness and hide themselves from him. He hated the shame that David felt after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He hated the shame that Peter felt after he denied his Lord three times. He hated the shame that Judas carried after he betrayed his rabbi. And in the same way, God scorns, hates, despises the shame that each and every one of us feel that crushes our soul and kills our joy. Because it was for the joy set before him. Turn to someone and say, I am the joy. Our freedom is his joy. That's why he endured the cross so that you could be free, so that you could live in freedom, free of shame, free of joy, or sorry, full of joy. (laughs) Don't make that a moment (laughs) on Instagram. But he despises the shame that you feel from the lies that you're telling. And from the, the, he despises the shame that you feel every time you look at something on the internet that you shouldn't. And he despises the shame that you feel when you open a notice from collections about your financial struggles. And he hates the shame that you feel when you hate yourself. And you doubt yourself and you live in self-hatred and the shame you feel when you look in the mirror and think that you are ugly and you're disgusting and no one will ever love you. He scorns the shame. And for me, he scorns the shame that I feel when I can't fix everything and the shame I feel when I feel like I'm not enough. 
But today, I want to let you know that there is a pathway to freedom from sin and guilt and shame. And that is grace. The number one thing that grace does, it cancels guilt. Grace is like a left hook that absolutely destroys the power of sin in our lives. It's how do we get out of the mess that we made? The only way we can get out of the mess is through Jesus. It's not us getting out of the mess. It's him and what he did for us on the cross that sets us free. And there's a story in Isaiah 6 that we're going to read. But, you know, a lot of the people, they look at the God of the Old Testament and they're like, I don't don't like that God. (laughs) But I really like that God. (laughs) I look at that. I look at God in the Old Testament, I see that he's such a patient God (laughs) that was patient with his people as over and over and over, year after year, century after century, they fell short of what he was asking of them. And he was patient and his grace every day was preparing a way that today it's the grace that we were singing about (laughs) and we see glimpses of it. So Isaiah 6. Isaiah has a vision of heaven and rather than the first thing he says when he gets in this vision and he sees heaven, he's not like, oh my goodness, I'm in heaven. This is amazing. The first thing he says is in verse five, woe is me. Come on. That's like sad. You're in heaven. And the first thing you say is, woe is me. Isaiah, he, in this moment notices the gap of who he is and who God is, right? He says, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah shows us the way that we get guilt canceled in our lives. And it's simply this. We have to understand the finished work of the cross and the finished work of Jesus. And we step in and receive that by active repentance He's saying to God, woe is me, for I am a man of clean lips. He's actively confessing to God who he is and the sin and the shame and the guilt that he's feeling. And he's, it's where we say, I've fallen short of God's standard and what God intended for the best for my life. And I confess it and I admit it and I take responsibility for that. I take accountability for it. But my eyes have seen the king. See, immediately repentance moves the heart of God toward Isaiah. As we continue reading in verse 6, it says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Imagine a fiery angel with wings flying toward you with a hot coal that's too hot even for an angel of God to hold. He has to grab tongs from the fire to hold it. And he's coming straight for you. I'd be like, this is the moment. This is the moment that God is going to exterminate me. (laughs) (laughs) But what, what does he do? He comes, verse seven, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see, this isn't the moment that God's going to exterminate him. This is the moment that God is exterminating his guilt. 
And Aaron, after the first service, he was talking with me and he said, he realized this revelation that he never thought before, how the coal comes. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, right? And the seraphim come and touches the lips, cleanses the lips. And the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue, what we speak. And he comes and he cleanses our mouth. See, it's our confession. It's our confession of repentance to him that moves the heart of God to come. And our confession of our salvation in Jesus Christ, our belief in him and us saying it that moves him to come to touch us. And he says, your guilt is paid for. Your sins are atoned for. And now Jesus, we fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus, the live, fiery, burning coal of heaven himself comes down and cancels your debt and cancels your sin and atones for it on the cross. And he pays for it all. And he says, your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. The Holy One of God, Jesus Christ himself, did that for each and every one of us in this room. Come on. How? Because of the great exchange. Because we are guilty. If sin, if guilt says you are held accountable and responsible for what you've done, gavel comes down. The only way for God to change that or to cancel that debt is for someone else to pay for it. And so he looks at his innocent son, Jesus, and he says, the righteousness of my innocent son through the cross, through my death, through my burial, through my resurrection, and now your belief in him now is transferred to your account. And you don't have to feel guilt anymore because he has carried your guilt for you. As I, I started weeping as I was preparing this part of my message, thinking about Jesus hanging on the cross and how he was stripped naked. The shame he must have felt. You know, Jesus, he never sinned. And so I don't know if he ever felt shame. But in that moment, he clothed himself in our shame. And I thought about the nakedness in the garden. And then the nakedness of Jesus and how we were ashamed of our nakedness. And so we tried to clothe ourselves. and there Jesus is hanging naked, clothing himself in our sin and our shame. How good our God is to us that he would do that for us. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. First John 1, 8. John is writing to the new believers to show them the power of the gospel. And he says this, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. See, it's our confession, our acknowledgement of our sin, saying, I'm accountable, I'm responsible, I get it. It frees God and moves him toward us and the finished work of Christ, and it cancels our debt. What incredible news that we get to celebrate together today. Come on. But the enemy comes and he says, oh, you're a Christian now. Oh, you're, you're going to church? Okay, well, I guess you're going to heaven too. But while you're here on earth, I'm going to make your life a living hell. And I booked us on a trip together. It's a one-way 
ticket on a guilt trip. I'm going to take you on this boat and you're not going to be able to get off. And I'm going to see the thing about the enemy is he doesn't relent. He doesn't let up and he'll keep bringing back to your memory the things that you've done or the things that others have done to you. And it often torments you and often makes you think about it and replay it and relive it over and over and over again. And you try to convince yourself that if you stuff it down, then it's hidden and no one will see it. Or if I party it up enough, then no one will know the shame that I'm feeling. But the only way to step into the light or the only way to get off of the ship, the only way for you to get free is for you to step into the light of the Lord God Almighty and say, I've done some things and I've had some things done to me and I feel ashamed and I feel marred and I feel worthless and I feel at times irrevocably damaged. But yet I hear freedom's bell ringing today. See, on that hill, on Calvary Hill, when Jesus said it is finished, the bell of freedom was rung across the earth. And that bell, it shakes hell. It shakes hell. And the gavel was pounded down and the message is now being received that your guilt is canceled. And today, I'm getting off the boat. And the enemy's like, you can get off at the next stop. And you're like, no, I'm jumping overboard today into an ocean of grace and an ocean of forgiveness and an ocean of mercy that will swallow me. <laughs> and God wants to book us on a different trip, a trip to the cross, a trip to the feet of our savior that frees us. So number one, grace cancels the guilt. And number two, grace It doesn't just do that. It redefines us from failure to family. See, grace, it takes away the scarlet F that we have written on ourselves that says failure. And it now says, you are my family. You are my son. You are my daughter. (laughs) I want to change the story and the narrative today from failure to family. I want to give you the keys to my kingdom. I've written you in my will. You now have a share of my inheritance with my son, Jesus. You have a seat at the table with God. Come on. First John three verse one says, See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. Galatians 4, 6-7 through 7 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Come on. We are his children. We are heirs of Christ. And see, in the garden... God was calling out to Adam and Eve saying, Adam, where are you? He's calling out to humanity. And now we call out to him saying, Abba, father, you are my daddy. Come on. It redefines us grace as a family member and a friend of almighty God. So how does this happen? What does this look like for us today? You know, The enemy wants us to look away from God, to try and hide our faces in shame. 
But Psalm 34, 5 says, those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This is a powerful picture of the opposite of shame, where shame is trying to keep you from looking at him and his righteous, holy, pure face is shining at you, waiting for you to look at him. And he says, everything that I am, you are now too. You are holy. You are righteous. You are blameless in my sight. Just like the Israelites for 430 years, slaves, though outwardly free, inwardly slaves still, we can be forgiven and healed from shame. But the only way to do that is to move the focus off of ourselves and onto him. And are you ready to do that today? I was reading about shame and this verse came. It says, Joshua 5, 9 said, the Lord said to Joshua today, everybody say today, today, today Today I have rolled away. Uh Uh-oh. Today I've rolled away. That sounds familiar. Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Today he's rolling (laughs) away the shame. The shame that we feel. And I want us to fill in the blank for our life about what that might look like. It might be, I'm not horrible because of Christ, I am forgiven. Or I'm not sick because of Christ, I am healed. Or I'm not dirty, I'm worthless because of Christ, I am pure. I am loved, I'm accepted, I'm forgiven, I'm new, I'm chosen, I'm set apart. I want you to think for a moment, what does that look like for me today? For me to confess now the truth of who I am in him because of what he's done. See, mine is this. It's my thought is I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. But the truth is Christ in me is more than enough. (laughs) Because of what he's done, I am enough. Today, he's rolling away the shame. After Jesus died, day one, his followers are devastated. Day two, they start to lose hope. Day three, they think it's never going to happen until two women go into a garden to go and see, check on the tomb, and they see that the stone was rolled away and that the grave couldn't hold their Lord anymore. And he, yes, has risen. And today I declare to you all, as some people have said to you, shame on you. I declare that he is saying shame off of you. Shame off of you. I have rolled away the stone and I have now rolled away your shame. Come on. Yeah, you can give a hand for that. I want to invite you all to stand. Let's stand and close our eyes for a minute. The cross was for you. (laughs) The empty tomb was for you. And Jesus, he looked through time and he saw you in this moment. 
and he endured the shame of the cross and the shame that you've carried your whole life. And he endured it for the joy of your freedom. And I declare that in him, you are free. In him, we are free. We are forgiven. We are changed. We are healed. We are redeemed. We are blessed. We are complete. We are chosen. We are accepted. No more shame. No more shame. Shame off of us. Shame off of us. You are not what you've done. You are not what you did, and you are not what you do. And you are not what someone else has done to you. And you are not who others say you are. You're not even who you think you are. You are who Christ, the Son of God, says you are. And He says, You are my son. You are my daughter. You are my friend. And today we can celebrate that God rolled away the stone and that he rolls away our shame because who the son sets free is free indeed. And I, I want to open up the front because I feel like there's something about stepping out into the light and stepping out prophetically saying, I'm out of darkness I'm leaving behind shame and I'm stepping in to wholeness in him. I'm stepping into my freedom. And there's parts of us that are like, well, it feels, I don't want anyone to know that I feel ashamed. Well, I want you to know everyone in this room raised their hand that they deal with shame. And so if you feel like you want to step out and you want to come up to the front, I want you to come forward unashamedly to come forward. And I want our, our ministry team our prayer team, to just go around and pray, lay hands. We don't have to come up to people up here. But just if you want freedom today, if you want to say enough is enough, I'm stepping out of the shame that I feel, just come forward because God wants to meet you and encounter you here today and speak identity and truth over you. So thank you, Jesus, for your freedom that is found in you. Team, please just go around and lay hands and just pray. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.